0: on and so are the mics. it's time for ira on sports it's the true oldies channel i'm mike balsamo and ira here we are get to play real monday morning quarterbacks here but this time it's looking back on the general managers and front offices because ira the draft is in the book it was a spectacle the entire time i loved it and i didn't love a lot of the picks this was kind of a crazy one but it was definitely great tv I
1: loved it. I, it was really – it was like, first of all, we've been dying for sports for so long. It was exciting to see. We've been you know, prepared for this draft, thinking where the players are going to go. Yep. And the whole concept of looking in the homes of the coaches, general managers mm-hmm. – I mean, I know people, I was talking to a lot of people, friends, and they're like, my girlfriend doesn't even like watch the NFL games, but just love watching and, the decor stuff. the house, <laughs> the actions with CeeDee Lamb's girlfriend took his cell phone from him and then he grabbed it back and like, what was that about? But it was just so cool to see a lot of that. And it was that, that aspect of it was fun. And then the drafts, it's the, and then the players themselves and how they were selected. Uh, this was completely different to see that fact that now, every now and then you've had players that rather be at home rather than be at the, draft. Mm-hmm. And I, I heard someone say, it was actually Ryan Leaf, I was listening to the radio, which is surprising, which he said that he's going to expect that to be a trend. And you might see that where these players, instead of going to Vegas and being in front of all these people, might want to rather be at home uh, with their family, with their friends, and do those type of things. We'll never see the GMs and the coaches at home again, but that was <laughs> just to see Bill Belichick's kitchen table, I mean, that was worth just showing up. like When you, when you were waiting for, like, to see the Steelers and how they mm-hmm. were the to Tomlin and everything
0: like that. So it was pretty cool. And we'll talk all about that, I so hear, in a little bit. We're also going to down on the draft completely. This is going to be a great show. And then Ira... We've got one of our best guests. Uh, he's one of the top people in Palm Beach County when it comes to um, just being a mover and shaker and a really VIP. It's Ken Kennerly's joining us.
1: Yeah, not only is Ken run the Honda Classic, one of the most successful golf tournaments in the United States and the world, really, but also uh, he's a consultant with a company that works with other golf tournaments. And uh, it was great to have him come on and just give it an impression. We talked to ask him about Tiger and Phil going against with uh, Peyton Manning and Tom Brady, which could be a tournament that's rumored to be in here. That would be great. Great. In Martin County or Palm Beach County and one of the courses there so excited about that asking about what the golf is going to get started the PGA Tour in June and uh, some other aspects and we, we sort of rehashed the Honda a little bit and talked about next year.
0: It's going to be a great show so stick around here on IRON Sports. Before we get into the draft IRON let's give us a little uh, Corona update.
1: Um, well generally the, it looks like we're going to get the first event will be here and it'll be actually in Florida. Because it's going to be uh, it's going to be in it's going to be the UFC fight on May 9th. Mm-hmm. and they're talking about that being in Jacksonville. So that Jacksonville, in terms of no fans, but you're not going to be able to go see it, but you're going to get to see it. And it ha- the card is actually not set, but it looks like that's uh, two weeks from Saturday, two weeks from Saturday will be a UFC fight in in Jacksonville, and that'll be. But on the other sports, it really has been very quiet this week in terms of discussion. I listened to a lot about college football. I think that's the concern in terms of they really don't see where if they, if the There's a question whether they want to play in the spring or not and whether they should play in the spring, and that's the question. And then the NBA was... Uh, really in terms they're saying that if the facilities can open May first, then you can come. They were afraid, like in Georgia, for example, that if you're allowed to go to your local gym and shoot hoops, they'd rather the team be good players be going into their facilities, not to a local gym. Of course. But on the other hand, if you're in New York, then you're not allowed to open this facility. So it sort of it hurts the Knicks and and the and the and the, and the Nets because they're gonna be in cities that, that won't allow them to go practice in these facilities. So what could they do? And a lot of times a lot of these players don't live. We think the players live in the cities. A lot of them have not quarantined in the city they're supposed to be at. They're somewhere different. So there's a lot of issues and uh, in terms of how this works, and I think this is going to be something the NBA is going to battle as they try to open up. I mean, this was only just to open the facilities on May 1st for one-to-one instruction. That's not uh, actually not even one-to-one instruction, just so they can shoot around mm-hmm.
0: themselves. You know, I did see a tweet um, just a little bit before we went on air <clears throat> from Jeff Passan saying that Major League Baseball's upper echelon is basically convinced the 2020 season's going to happen. They just have no idea how it's going to be uh, from, from the experience but that's good news as well i i saw that too
1: it sort of sort of seems like they have no idea and of course (laughs) this is from the sport that two weeks after they shut down they said we're going to start we'll just delay our regular season two weeks so i think that they of all the sports they're the ones that have been throwing out ideas left and right but we'll see how 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 it comes to fruition but uh, it are
0: was... you claiming baseball is a little archaic and out of touch? Well,
1: I never. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I it, it's just interesting to see what baseball will, how they will come up with ways to play without the fans, and then also, I mean, they're playing in Taiwan and South Korea. They're playing baseball mm-hmm. without fans. So there's a four four team Taiwan league, and there's like an eight team South Korean league that is trying to play without fans. So that'll be sort of a test case.
0: You're listening to Iron Sports on the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. All right, let's get into it. We've been covering the NFL draft here for like a month, Ira. We've got in-depth coverage leading up to it. Now we know what happened. We'll talk about that in a moment. But you brought up the sets and seeing these people in their houses, in their environments, with their pets and with their kids. I thought it was really, really cool, and it turned out some of the better stories even better than the draft picks. Totally, very much, very interesting.
1: Seeing the the kids, the dogs, the house, the setups just tremendous. Yeah,
0: Bill Belichick's dog sitting in his chair. They took a picture of that, and everyone's saying, you know, greatest coach ever. This this German <laughs> shepherd. I thought that was pretty funny. What stood out to you? I know Jerry Jones got a lot of heat on uh, on this social media and online. Well, he was on a two hundred fifty
1: million dollar yacht. Yeah. So they're talking like the Austin Powers yacht or whatever they want to describe it. But it was he was on the yacht. But it looked cool. I mean I thought that was very I mean, you'd expect Jerry Jones to be on a yacht. And of and course. then I, I remember he got criticized. He said he's on the yacht with with uh, hot young women, and it was his daughter and his daughter-in-law. <laughs> so that just shows you where these headlines oh, totally yeah. don't get it. And, and it, that was pretty cool to see. I always thought it was interesting. Jerry Jones is in the in yacht, and Mike McCarthy, the coach of the Cowboys, they usually show the coach in a manager. Look, he was like in his attic. You know, it was like sort of like <laughs> he was up there in an attic somewhere. At the number one house has to be Cliff Kingsbury from the Arizona Cardinals. That house... I mean, Matthew McConaughey, who he looks like, does a commercial for Buick yep. and... Or Lincoln. Lincoln's the... Is it Buick or Lincoln? It's I Lincoln, yeah. Lincoln. So he does the one for Lincoln and... That's like the house. That was the house. I mean, it was just so cool. And he's sitting on a couch and the couch looks fantastic. And the outside where the setup was. I mean, it was by far the coolest house of any one of them. I like that one. Uh, Belichick's kitchen table. Tremendous. Yeah. <laughs> two laptops. I mean, he was ready for his fantasy draft. Like, that's what mm-hmm. it was. There was nothing around. And people, then he brought the dog out, I guess, to make himself more, more like man of the people with yeah. the dog there. And then he <laughs> fed the dog. People were concerned about that. And then uh, Mike Zimmer. I don't know if he hunts or not, but the the moose he has on the wall or all the animals mm-hmm. <laughs> from shooting. That was like the classic – like if you wanted to think of classic Minnesota house, Mike Zimmer from <laughs> – He nailed uh, it. <laughs> he nailed it. Andy Reid. So Andy Reid with a Hawaiian shirt – and then I love the elliptical in the background. <laughs> like, of all the coaches that you didn't think would have an elliptical, yeah. like, sitting right there, he has two computers, the TV, and it wasn't even set up right. Like, the computer is one way, the TV's on the <laughs> other, and then the elliptical, he keeps crashing into the elliptical. So, running there. I thought Jets Andy gaze, he seemed so miserable. Like he just seemed like he was not happy at all. And then they tried he's to He's a strange character. I know. And then they started showing him the dogs. And even they bought like three dogs out to try to make him like, oh now he's with the dogs. And he still didn't smile. Like he did not <laughs> be but you got him in if there was one coach we could have predicted that was going to have a meltdown knowing you're on TV Mm -hmm. like you're not like they know there's a camera on you Bill O'Brien (laughs) it had to be Bill O'Brien and it was Bill O'Brien yelled throws his computer down like yells and screams you can see they didn't show what he was saying but he was like Mm -hmm. showed and you knew Bill O'Brien was going to have some sort of hissy fit and that happened I like Sean McVay's house. The view, now, it looked like it was like the Hollywood Hills a little bit in Mm -hmm. terms of overlooking L.A. Like, that was a cool, like, you know, very sort of a cliff. It was like second place to Cliff Kingsbury in terms of the view and everything. Uh, Tampa Bay, Bruce Arians, sitting outside, like, I like that look mm-hmm. by the pool. I mean, that's the relaxed thing. That's why Tom Brady and, is going down there, Gronkowski, you know, just the relaxed, sitting by, we love here in South Florida. So that was like, I loved Arians' mm-hmm. look with that. I thought that was cool. And then Dave Gettleman. Uh, for the Giants.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he's something else.
1: With the papers and the books. And then he did get unfairly criticized for the mask. I mean, they said a white... I, I, people were saying why he had a mask on. And the reason he had a mask on was because there was an IT worker in the house. <laughs> and he's also had problems with... I mean, he had problems. He had cancer and literally died almost two years ago. So the fact is he should be having a mask on. And, and I, best of health for for Dave Gettleman. But the fact... I thought he was that was ridiculous. He was criticized. But it was like he, he did not have all the... the screens and everything that, that the other coaches had and my mom loved Pete Carroll's house like mm-hmm. it was huge like when you looked at Pete Carroll like that was like an amazing large house and it was like enormous and stuff like that so I don't know Mike Vrabel had his kids in the background and they were dressed in crazy outfits I thought that was great but it was just so neat to see these coaches and then then to see the players I mean even Joe Burrow, because he was on the screen the longest because his pick was coming up. And it was like just his mother. Did that house remind you of rural Ohio? <laughs> it was perfect. <laughs> well, I think the curtains, like there, something should have been done that just seemed very outdated. But it was like, first of all, he knew he had already been studying the Bengals' playbook. I mean, he really played that well because he'd been studying the Bengals' mm-hmm. playbook. Like, he knew the Bengals were going to draft him. I'm sure the Bengals weren't going to give him their playbook if they're not going to draft him or not. Oh, they let him know. <laughs> they, and he reacted so surprised. But that was that was just a great scene of that in the house. But just see the family. I mean, and that's what's so cool about these players. I mean, that these families. We we sometimes criticize the 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 Lonzo, the Levar Ball, the, the the. fathers and mothers that sort of take control and mm-hmm. want to make all the money. But so many of these families, like these mothers and fathers are taking two and three jobs just so they can feed their kids. Mm-hmm. Like the one family that had the two brothers that were drafted and like they mentioned how they have like four different refrigerators and their family was working because they're huge. They're 300 pound brothers <laughs> and just the sacrifices and to be able to enjoy that at home and to get, I mean, what a thrill for a parent to have their kid drafted in the NFL draft. It's just so cool and I was like, great. And these emotions are Genuine, and I think it was great that they were able to share it with their families.
0: It, one of the, my favorite things um, was, yes, yeah, seeing the inside, of seeing how these people actually live and how they interact. It's just not the same when they're all there, at, you know, in, in Las Vegas or in New York City table. in a suit. And, yeah. You know, it, it was nice to see everything toned down. And, you know, in the weird times that we're in, it was cool to see some normalcy, I, I thought, Ira.
1: I thought it was great. It was great. And, I, and just – you know, congratulations to all the players that were drafted. And you can see the emotion. I mean, the, the, again, the hard work that goes into getting drafted. Like, yeah, there's 255 players that were drafted. And there's, you know, tens and thousands of players that are playing high school football. Mm-hmm. And to think that you're one of top 255 is just amazing.
0: Yeah, it's like 1% of the 1% of the 1%. It's crazy. The, the what it takes to get um, to this level and then to, to remain there is even harder. Um, Ira, I was, I was thinking a little bit earlier, and I had read this too, that... Think about the logistics of trying to make trades in this situation when you're all separate like that. And that's, you know, some people were giving Dave Gettleman a break like he's barely got a computer. He's probably got a landline, not even a cell phone. Who's he call <laughs> to get trades done? That must have really in- impacted this, this draft a lot. Well, it impacted because
1: there was the first uh, fifteen picks. There was no trades at all, and, it, and then you got some trades later in the draft. And you saw San Francisco was more active in terms of making a lot of those trades. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you saw some teams that didn't make uh, didn't make a bunch of trades, and 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 the, and the Dolphins made trades. I, I'm glad from. Dolphins' perspective, they kept a lot of picks. I think the yep. Dolphins needed to draft as many people as they possibly could get. Sort of almost throwing darts would be better for them. In terms <laughs> of if they if you're in drafting 12, 13 players, it's better that you can draft three. And one of them's a superstar. That's great. So I think that it did make logistically harder to make trades. And as we had Dan LaGreca on, uh, the draft guru last week, uh, you saw some some players that, like, where,
0: like, well, that no one thought this player was going to be drafted that early. So there was a lot of
1: surprises in this draft.
0: There was, and we'll talk about that uh, in, in just one second because there's still uh, so much to get through. No, it, it reminds me, Ira, of, you know, we're big fantasy guys, and you've got your your routine for a fantasy draft. But I'm sure you've had that one where you were in a car drafting on your phone, because you had some, and then it throws everything off. And this is what's
1: happening with the NFL now. The worst draft I ever had was I went to a Steeler Kansas City game, and I'm, like, trying to get out of the parking lot. I thought I had enough time to get out of the Steeler Kansas City game in Kansas City and then I'm stuck in the parking lot yeah. and then I had my friend drive the car and I'm trying to do the draft on my laptop while the car's driving with electronic draft and then I'm losing service and I'm this and I'm drafting the worst team in the world and yeah. I know my friends will say, well, probably that was a better thing for you but no, but it was just, it was very difficult but I see—I could see, yeah, this was difficult. I mean, these these teams, their war rooms are like war rooms. I mean, yeah, they are literally millions of things all set up and uh, it was difficult to get, I mean, you heard about. Some of these coaches had RVs parked outside their houses with with things uh, with satellite equipment to try to link it. People were nervous about those things. So for there was no disaster. There was no oh they was had good. to hold up. Yeah, I was waiting for some like oh this pick is going to be held up for a long time because of some move. But you know it also helped. I mean Roger Goodell gets a lot of I don't I mean he he liked it. I mean he's very stiff. I agree, but it was gave him a lot of. Chance to interact with the fans and talk to people, and not sort of you got to see Roger Goodell and rather than being on stage. And I thought it was weird when he turned to the screen and said, Boomy, Boomy. I thought it was a little <laughs> weird. But on all, he probably got more kudos for this. He yeah. got more uh, positives than negatives.
0: Before we get into the draft, did you happen to see John Runyon Jr., who was drafted by Green Bay? This young kid, he's actually John Runyon, who's an excellent NFL lineman's son, um, he got the call and he denied it. <laughs> By accident, tried to call the Packers back, and they didn't answer. I mean, could you imagine something like that? And then not getting drafted. <laughs> yeah. That would be the worst thing. <laughs> they did uh, call him back, and uh, John Runyon Jr. is on uh, the Green Bay Packers. Okay, Ira, let's talk about it. Round one, especially at the very top, went exactly the way you thought it was going to. Well, Burrow and Chase
1: Young, Burrow to Joe Burrow, the quarterback for the Bengals, and Chase Young, uh, the Ohio State, great defensive end to the Washington Redskins. But everyone thought Okuda, the cornerback from the Detroit from Ohio State, would go to Detroit. I said, Boy, I love Isaiah Simmons that he would go there and, and they went to Chalk. They picked Okuda. And then the first Did you happen
0: to see that um the rumor is Matt Patricia wanted Derek Brown? He didn't want Okuda, but the GM wanted Okuda, so they they settled.
1: Wow. Yeah, I heard Matt
0: Patricia wanted the big D tackle. Well,
1: that's one, you know, I thought that was weird. And then you heard a lot of these teams like the Lions – we're trying to trade back and no one wanted to trade yeah. in and and those and then the Giants picked, we thought they were gonna pick a tackle and they picked Andrew Thomas, who we
0: have been, I talked to you how much I liked Andrew Thomas. You and Dan Parla both gave him a, a great review. So I, I'm happy with if that's the, the you know, if they're going O line, I really like the, the choice that they and made.
1: also the thing is he played left tackle at Georgia, so he's used to playing the position. The other the other four that they were talking about in the draft, which were gonna get drafted right up, uh, they were right tackles and they weren't so mm-hmm. he was more like plug and play. And I thought that he played in Georgia. And dominated all these other first round picks. I thought that was a smart move. So, again, people said, well, we could trade it down. But, you know, I think that Gettleman has shown that if he likes Daniel Jones, he's going to draft him. Like, he's not. Dave Gettleman has
0: never traded down ever. Right. He's so, not. Yeah, looking he takes his the, picks. Yeah, he
1: takes his pick. He's not worried about value. And, you know, as someone who does fantasy all the time, how much do I hate the fact that in like the fourth round, I don't pick someone thinking they're going to be for the fifth round and mm-hmm. then they go gone and then you're just mad forever because yeah, you're like, yeah. I should have picked him. So, I got to give, I'm not saying that's a stupid strategy. If you dra- rather draft, the player you want a little early then miss him out at
0: all. Absolutely, especially with a scale a little bit bigger than our fantasy leagues. <laughs> Dolphins,
1: I think, did the right thing. I'm happy with Tua here in South Florida. Well, a lot of uh, smoke screening and everything out, but again, you know, the Herbert pick they were going to pick, they took Tua. Uh, this is the smart pick, the guy we talked about last week. He's the one who could be the superstar. Yes. And learning from the Dan Murray, I mean, the fact that even Nick Saban was on there talking about him and and uh, the whole idea that you want to get, they could have had Drew Brees. They didn't have Drew Brees. You know, they, they missed the chance on Drew Brees because of his shoulder. Uh, I felt it was the, what they were going to make, and they made it. And then the Chargers went up and picked Justin Herbert from uh, Oregon, who I don't like Justin Herbert a lot, but he makes sense. I mean, they have uh, Tyra Taylor as their quarterback. Herbert's there. Everyone puts him in a ranking. I don't think Herbert's going to be that good, but it's what they had to try to do because people have not rated right
0: there. And, and you know what? That's a team with a lot of weapons, and he doesn't have to start right away. So he's got a little bit of an advantage over a Joe Burrow. Right. What about uh, Carolina? They took who they, they think this guy could be, um, Aaron Donald Light. Well, the Carolina has the worst. The one thing
1: Carolina did was they picked seven. They were the first time ever to pick seven. All their whole draft was defense. Yeah. And for Matt Rule, which is from, a new coach there, but they had the worst run defense in the league. And uh, they picked Derek Brown, who was an interior defensive end, huge to stop an the Dominique and Sue type, Aaron Donald type of player. Uh, and they picked him for in their for their first pick. I would again pick Isaiah Simmons there. Uh, I think. Isaiah was going to be pro a hall of famer, but they went with Derek Brown instead. And, and then, then Isaiah dropped in Arizona. Yeah. Probably like
0: you think about that. You're Arizona. You did a great job to fix wide receiver. Got DeAndre Hopkins. They were going in here like, okay, we should have our pick of three of the four tackles after the Giants. And then, like you said, a generational player falls in their lap, and they, I think, they made the right call. Right. We thought they were going to pick. Um, Worfs
1: was there a lot. Yeah, we thought we were gonna pick another tackle and and they chose not to go to the to these other tackles. And then what was surprising about it is that so we talked about this Josh Jones from Houston. And of all the players who dropped in this draft, I saw Josh Jones under many. Even Kuiper had him in the first round, yeah. and he dropped to the third round. So he dropped – Pick 72. 72, and they picked him. So they actually got a first-round pick. <laughs> and if he turns out to be great, then this could be one of the most shrewdest drafts. I mean, they only drafted like five players. But if they could get Josh Jones, who actually is a superstar, and I know Isaiah Isaiah, Isaiah Simmons will be a superstar, then they did great. I mean, in fact, that Isaiah Simmons dropped to eighth is just – Ridiculous!
0: It's crazy to me as well, Ira. But I I like, I respect that that they said, "Well, we had this guy as number two on our draft board. He's here at eight. He's not a need, but we're taking him." Uh, So after that. I'm sure Jacksonville wasn't so thrilled because I know that they were sniffing around at Simmons as well, but they got a very nice player from UF.
1: Yeah, CJ Henderson, who we talked about now, he's the best, second best quarterback. I thought he was gonna go later. They've already lost Jalen Ramsey and A.J. Boy. So they were they were they needed help. They need help. Jacksonville needed help everywhere. And I thought they sort of reached to get Henderson. I'm not been a Henderson fan, uh, but to pick him at nine was high. But they felt like look, they had a need there, they picked him. Hopefully he's the player they think.
0: I, I was surprised that um Yannick, I won't even try his last name, and Gaugues didn't get dealt at all and maybe they were trying but there were uh, no suitors for him so the Browns, you had them taking Jedrick Wills from Alabama and that was the pick so you nailed it.
1: Right, they tackled to protect uh, Baker Mayfield I mean it fell right down, I mean as we said uh, they wanted to have protection for him just like these other teams wanted to bring in tackles and, mm-hmm. and he was and Jedrick Wills comes in and is going to start next year for the for the Cleveland Browns.
0: Yeah, number 11, I think everybody and their mom knew that um, they were going wide receiver offensive line with the, with the New York Jets and we were right
1: well, I thought Judy was going to be the pick for the wide receiver. Yeah, I did too. But they ended up going with Beckton, the, the big uh, tackle from Louisville. I mean, the Jets gave up 52 sacks last year. They won a protection for Sam Darnold. Yeah. They really felt then also to, to, to block for Le'Veon Bell. Um, but I think that that was, a, that was a move they had to make in terms of they were either going to go one way or the other, either
0: wide receiver or offensive tackle. So we were debating amongst us and here on Iron Sports for weeks. Who's going to be the first receiver off the board? And this wasn't the most popular choice here, the Raiders.
1: Well, uh, Henry Ruggs... Who is was considered maybe the second best wide receiver on Alabama behind Judy, yeah. but the Tyreek Hill type of player, the speed, and they really wanted him. And and you heard that the Eagles were trying to trade up. That's who the Eagles wanted also. So the Eagles were okay. hoping to get Ruggs and weren't able to. So Ruggs was going to be, if it wasn't going to the Raiders, that was one trade up the, that they were going to have. But uh, they're pumped for, I mean, they definitely needed, that was a team we knew that, I mean, I, they, I've they i had them, I had Ruggs going to, going to the Raiders. I knew they were going to pick a, a wide receiver. They needed something for Derek Carr. John Gruden likes to have toys. That's why they had Antonio Brown last year. Mm-hmm. They needed that player, and Ruggs fits perfectly in what they want to do. So what happened next is something that always kind of
0: is a head-scratcher to me. Teams
1: trading one pick. <laughs> I think they were afraid that Tampa Bay was afraid that someone, I mean, they saw Tristan Wirf's drop. Now, Tristan Wirf's, a lot of projections had going four to the Giants. Well, now suddenly he went, Thomas went as a tackle, Beckton went as a tackle, Willis went as a tackle. Wirf's is still there. They could have a tackle who could possibly have been the fourth or third pick in the draft. They were able to pick him then at 13. Mm -hmm. They moved up one, giving up much, but just to protect Tom Brady, what a great pick. I mean, I love the Buccaneers draft. I love everything the Buccaneers are doing. And that was to get Tristan Wirf's, who's going to start protecting. It's just perfect. I mean, all the problems they had. I mean, they were 24th in the league in the running game. They gave up the 10 most sacks in the league. Their offensive line is a disaster.
0: They don't want to have Tom Brady with a disaster offensive line, so put I put it that in. This is Ira on Sports on the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. We're talking about the 2020 NFL draft. So I like what the 49ers did too. They pick up some more uh, draft capital and they replaced DeForest Buckner, the pro bowler who they had to let go just for salary cap reasons, essentially. Well, they, it's almost
1: like one of those things where you bring in Javon Kinlaw from South Carolina. He was projected to go top eight in some drafts right. too. And they got, they, tra- they got him and they gave up Forrest Buckner and they'd have to pay like hundreds of millions of dollars mm-hmm. to. And now they're paying, that's the one thing that was a value trade. San Francisco was very shrewd. They drafted
0: great this year. It's uh, not a bit, that it was the best defensive line in the league and they lost one of their best players, replaced him right away. That, so, that worked out so perfect for them. Very good. I mean, I, I thought they might start going wide
1: receiver which they did later. But uh, uh, but that was still getting getting uh, Kinlaw away. Was was tremendous.
0: Uh, Denver nailed their draft last year, uh, potentially getting their franchise quarterback, uh, Cortland Sutton, who they got late, turned into a great player, and now they're going to add another weapon on offense.
1: Well, I think what Denver did was they got Jerry Judy at Alabama, but then you know they have Cortland Sutton, and then they they brought K.J. Hamler in also. So now they have two Penn State guys, which is uh, Deshaun <laughs> Hamilton and K.J. Hamler and Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy. I mean, you're seeing all these teams that are like the Raiders, went, went wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver. Denver went wide receiver, wide receiver. They're like, we're in the same division as Kansas City. Yes. They're going to score 40 a game. We want to score 40 a game. Like, forget about defense. Like, we're going to just score as many points as they do. So if you get to see the AFC West, I mean, those are games are going to be Great. Like at those four o'clock starts, like it's gonna be
0: 60 to 55 or some crazy story. <laughs> no, yeah, that, that is gonna be crazy. And I, and I do agree with you. That that was like, well, they've got their Tyree kill. Let's get Henry Ruggs. Let's let's try to match the weapons that the reigning Super Bowl champ does, and they're in our division. Atlanta went next, and I, I think this pick could have went a lot of ways. I'm not sure I liked this pick.
1: I hated the pick. I again I think AJ Terrell, we're talking about that next tier of quarterbacks last week. They reached, I mean, this is a reach for AJ Terrell. I mean, he could dropped into the late second round and they drafted him with a 15 pick uh i just was a cornerback and they they needed that they needed help there but i would have gone linebacker i mean I, the draft sort of felt like where i thought it was going to be and Jason was going to be there from lsu and they chose this corner and i i guess look there was a lot of quarterbacks taken I think only a couple are going to be really good, and some are going to be out of this league in yeah. like a couple of years. Like when Artie Burns and the Steelers got drafted. Like these corners, I just I'm nervous about. I if I was I would I was would be very nervous to take a corner this high because this could definitely be a bust. And especially when they just they need
0: pass rushers, they need interior line. This was a little strange. Um, I hate when teams in my division get better, and that's what Dallas did. And, and you know, it's funny. I heard uh, I heard someone say like, "You see Jerry Jones." Elated with this pick before it comes in. You don't get all excited when you draft a tackle or when you draft a safety. Who does Jerry Jones get excited for? Guys who score touchdowns, and that's what they got.
1: Well, how about a guy who scores touchdowns from the from the Big Twelve Conference, who plays Texas and Arkansas? I mean, Jerry Jones Udos from that. I mean, he has been probably watched CeeDee Lamb from Oklahoma play almost every game mm-hmm. he's ever played. Uh just perfect. I mean, C.D. Lamb is meant to be a Dallas Cowboy. Like it almost just like sits perfectly. He's It just, he scores touchdowns, he's fast, he's great hands, runs different routes. And you say, well, they have a Cooper, they have Gallup. Well, they, Lamb might be better than both of them. Like, mm-hmm. I think this was a great pick for, and I think this was a smart move, and you know that Derry wanted to hire, it was, a, it was like almost an easy, like I said, you might go cornerback on this, but why reach for a corner at this position yeah. But when you could actually have CeeDee Lamb, who's such a difference maker, and someone who thought was going to be the first wide receiver off the board. Oh, perfect for Cowboys. I mean, I had some Cowboy fans that were like, I don't know, I'm like, are you crazy? Yeah, what do you, you not like you about this? This was like a perfect 10. This is a home run. CeeDee Lamb is just, a, he's, so, he's better than Cooper, Amari Cooper right now. Like, I love C.D. Lamb. I think he fits it perfect, and uh, I think he's going to be great. And for...
0: not for nothing, this puts a lot of pressure on um, Dak Prescott and also makes it a little easy, easier, easier of a decision for the front office of, of the Cowboys because they lost Travis Frederick. They gained a superstar receiver or should be a superstar. What can you show me now, Dak Prescott, because you're about to get paid or not based off of it.
1: Right. I mean, again, it's it, he has these weapons, and with Ezekiel Elliott running back, yeah. I mean, they're set to go. And uh, I think it was – Right, a perfect pick.
0: Dolphins are up next, and I really thought this was going to be Josh
1: Jones here. I thought so too, and they went Austin Jackson to USC, who we had talked about being again this this second tier of offensive tackles. They go and they call him a project. He's a very high upside, and you saw with some of the Dolphins picks that they were like Igabani from uh, Auburn. It's Players that they felt like could develop more, There and Tua even. It wasn't like for next year's. It was for the year after, and that's why they thought the upside with him was so great. I was surprised. We thought they were going to go tackle. They went tackle. It was just maybe the person we didn't think they were going to pick, but I, it, it, it was, the Dolphins had so many draft choices, and they really are looking for this. I mean, they may, they're they going to get They drafted so many players that a couple of them are going to be superstars.
0: You would hope so. <laughs> um, so up next is the Raiders again. And Ira, they drafted great last year. I don't know if I agree with this pick, though. The worst pick in the draft. I mean, David Ornette... Uh, we had,
1: I mean, most every, nobody had even in the second round. So they drafted him in the 19th. Again, the mistake with the corners. They better be right on this pick. I mean, he was the second defensive back at Ohio State. I thought he was horrendous in the games I saw him play. Uh, he was, and in almost any board I've ever seen, I, I saw no one have him drafted in the first round. There's not one mock I saw that he would be drafted. People were shocked for him to go 19th as a joke. I don't know what happened with this pick. This makes no sense whatsoever. They must have seen, they must have thought something someone else was going to draft him and they must have seen something in him, but Damon
0: Arnett was just awful at 19. Just a terrible pick. Uh, I get that you need cornerbacks, especially in that division, but yeah, I don't love this one. I think Jacksonville loved uh, uh, Kalevon Chasen falling to them here at 20.
1: Again, after Simmons, the next best linebacker, Jacksonville backed C.J. Henderson with their first pick. They get Chasen now, trying to help that defense uh, from LSU. I mean, 14 LSU players taken in the draft. That's insane. 10 in the first three rounds. It was, uh, and even nine Alabama, which made the old record. They tied the record from Ohio State. In two thousand and four, just that LSU team is loaded. You can see how at Oregonian in, the, in terms of, of recruiting yeah. and how they and they coached them, and that's why they won the national championship and everything. So,
0: um, Eagles were up next to your Ira, and I gotta tell you. <laughs> I, 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 they needed a receiver. I don't know where Jalen Rager came up in this equation because I had him ranked maybe five or six receivers later.
1: Well, we're going to do twenty-one and twenty-two. The Eagles picked Rager and Minnesota picked Jefferson about a second later. And mm-hmm. everyone who was Eagles thought Jefferson from LSU was going to go to the Eagles, and they picked Jalen Rager from TCU. He's five eleven. He's he's but he has the second best wingspan span of any of anyone uh, in the, in the draft. So he's only five eleven, but he means his long arms mm-hmm. catches. The ball. Uh, they felt he was bad. They tried to get rugs. They wanted a smaller player, a slot more like a Tyreek Hill player. They couldn't move up. Uh, I was shocked they went with Rager. They better be right. And then Minnesota's happy with Jefferson from LSU. I bet they were who, thrilled. Who people thought could be the, again, one of these other could have been the best. No one said Rager was going to be the best wide receiver of the draft. People said Jefferson could be. So Minnesota got help with Thielen. They lost Diggs. I think Jefferson, honestly, I think Jefferson's a better wide receiver now than Stefan Diggs was. I think this is a smart pick. I think
0: the Minnesota's going to be great next year I, with this I break. think they were thrilled with that. Going back to Rager, just real quick. The pre-draft write-up on him is pros or speed, cons or hands <laughs> <That's not laughs> and his comparison is Nelson Aguilar <laughs> so like, alligator, arms. alligator this, arms the whole thing was just like out of the twilight zone Ira <laughs> uh, Chargers are up next at 23 well then they drafted the
1: third best linebacker Kenneth Murray of, Okla- uh, of Oklahoma they had just released Thomas Davis their top tackler so to bring the Chargers to bring Kenneth Murray and he just sort of fell right back there where, uh, I, so I, it was a smart pick like these are teams that I think were drafting maybe the, not the player I was thinking about but just the need was it, and Murray fell right to them
0: I was really hoping this next player that New Orleans took would make it to the second round for the Giants, but not that lucky.
1: The Saints were shocked that they picked Cesar Reese from Michigan. Nobody thought they were going to make this yeah. pick, and it doesn't... He's almost going to be a backup. They already have their offensive line set. No one understood this move. I think the the Saints made some really questionable uh, decisions. They, they had only like four draft picks. I did not understand this one. Now, signing Jameis Winston, and we heard about as being the back quarterback, that's a great move on their part. But uh, I thought they should go wide receiver here. I, I, I don't... I think I think that I just, I'm confused by this pick. Um, up next is going to be the 49ers. Well, they traded in. They went back and forth in terms of trading. So we said, oh, my God, they didn't go to wide receiver. They went with Kinlaw earlier. So then this time they went with Brandon Ayuk. So, they were able to get a wide receiver from Arizona State. I like him as a player, too. Right. And this now is, so again, some of these players are like, oh, you passed on getting a wide receiver early. What happened? And then they come back later in the round and get that wide receiver. So, you can be criticizing and They're like, wait, wait, wait. We know what we're doing. We know what we're doing. John Lynch made the right call. And Kyle Shanahan got a, a wide receiver that they're hoping is going to help Jimmy G. So, they were happy. Who the, the, Ioka, I said, was a was a one of those wide receivers at one of those schools with a bad quarterback and who still had put up good numbers. And when, when you have a more accurate quarterback, well, I don't know how, Accurate, Jimmy G is, but the fact is, you have a better quarterback. Maybe going to be better pro.
0: Up next was the Packers, Ira, and I just don't know what was going through Aaron Rodgers' head when this pick was made.
1: I, no one knows that. I watch everything in sports. I don't know one person. I can't find people I disagree with. Mac, Max Kellerman, Stephen A. Smith, like I, they never agree on anything. They agree total. I mean, there's Skip Bayless, like everybody. This pick. Of all the picks, Jordan Love, of Utah, it just didn't make any sense at all. Like if, You're a team that's that's on a cusp of a Super Bowl thir- every year. 13-3 and three last year. Aaron Rodgers is 36 years old. He signed for at least two more years where you can't even cut him because the cap, well, why would you cut Aaron Rodgers? He's playing at a high level. Why would you bring in Jordan Love? And the whole comment, what I can't stand is people say, well, they brought Aaron Rodgers at the same time when they, when they drafted Aaron Rodgers, when Brett Favre was the quarterback. Brett Favre was around 36. Remember, Brett Favre was really injured. He kept saying he was going to retire every year, and he wasn't signed to this long-term deal, and they brought Aaron Rodgers who fell, and everyone thought Aaron Rodgers could have been the first pick in the draft, so there's a lot of the th- comparisons, but this is the stupidest pick I can ever imagine, and we're going to talk about some of these other quarterback stupid picks, because to me, you don't draft Jordan Love to be a backup quarterback.
0: No. Because you, you need play, you need starters
1: in the and first the, round. And the point is is that you, do, if you're going to be a team, and like last year we saw with the Steelers, when they brought the rookies in, or even the second-year players, they're not ready to play. If you want a backup quarterback, your backup quarterback has got to be someone who's like Jameis Winston, who's started 20 games, mm-hmm. 50 games, ready to go in the league. Not going to be surprised. Not going to be like Duck Hodges, deer in the headlight. Let's yep. see what happens. You need to have a, a veteran quarterback as a backup quarterback. And these teams that think rookies are going to come in, it is the stupidest thing in the world. And you're not drafting Jordan Love. I mean, the, and the other benefit for Jordan Love is, I give Max credit, is that if you're going to draft a quarterback Jordan Love, He's got to start playing like Dak Prescott and like Patrick Mahomes. you got to get value from the rookie deal. What are you going to have, hey, Aaron? It's
0: the whole reason you want young quarterbacks.
1: So by the time in four years he'll be good? Well, in four years, then you're going to have to pay him a lot of money. This makes no sense whatsoever. And then, okay, so from that aspect is it doesn't make any sense. Then the fact is you're going to upset Aaron Rodgers. And I don't think Aaron Rodgers is a threat that he's not mad that you drafted Jordan Love to replace him because he probably looks at Jordan Love as a loser and not going to challenge him at all when he supposedly called him and congratulated him. But the fact is they need wide receivers. Mm-hmm. They have no, you have Devontae Adams and nobody else. Why in the world do you not draft a wide receiver? There's a, a zillion wide receivers still on the board. You had T Higgins. You could have drafted from Clemson. You could have drafted a guy that could have caught seventy passes, thousand yards, ten touchdowns. And instead, you draft a guy who's just going to hold a clipboard. It makes no sense. It was stupid, and it was just it just shows you the Packers. I mean, I. I'm telling you, this was the one of the dumbest draft choices I've ever seen in the history of the draft.
0: I, I agree with you here, I right, We just got about five or six minutes left here, so maybe we could uh, get, get a little bit going here, try to finish up this draft, uh, this round, and then uh, look onto some other picks. Seattle was up next.
1: Um, Jordy Brooks from TCU, a linebacker. Again, this is one of those positions go on either way um, for the for the Seahawks. Uh, probably someone who could make a difference. I mean, it's neat to get these linebackers later in the round. You saw Brooks went to Seattle, and then the Ravens got Patrick Queen again uh, from that. LSU, who I, who I thought was going to go there. So I thought those in terms of those linebackers, and I think in 29, Tennessee drafts Isaiah Wilson, offensive tackle for Georgia. I thought they'd go defense, but at this point, they probably said, look, we need another we run lost blocker. Jack Conklin, yeah. Right, so they could bring him in, and they like to run the game. And when he was at Georgia, remember, DeWante Swift is such a great running back, and Wilson was a great blocker for the running game. So I think that that made sense. And then Miami goes with uh, Noah Igabani from Auburn, a cornerback. And again, it's like one of these cornerbacks, no one knows if they're going to be any good. I have to say the one stat... And and the secondary
0: is not really that big of an issue on that team. And they just signed the, the top cornerback free agent.
1: Right. And, you know, he had 26 starts and no interceptions. In college football, like, I think, yeah. you know, the way people throw, if you're going to quarterback and you have no, you play up 26 starts and no interceptions, a little nervous about that one. Um, and then Jeff Gladney, a cornerback, went to Minnesota again uh, from TCU. I thought he'd get another reach. I, you hear, everybody keep saying, reach at corners. I just think these corners, like, were just questionable. Every, they, had a, they gave up a lot of big plays. None of them were that great, besides Akuda. And even
0: Henderson, it seems like these teams were just reaching at corners much too early. So the final pick of the first round is here. You were saying you did not think DeAndre Swift deserved to be the first uh, running back off the board. And you were right in that sense.
1: I thought Dobbins from Ohio State would be the best running back. We knew. I thought Kansas City was going for running back. Supposedly, unlike, well, first of all, Rodgers had no idea who they're going to draft. Um, But of course, in Kansas City, they did the smart thing where Andy Reid was on his elliptical with his Hawaiian shirt. And he called (laughs) up Patrick Mahomes and said, if we're going to draft running back, who would you like? And, Patrick Mahomes goes, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. They go, we were thinking the same thing. It's great to have Uh, the quarterback, quarterback, the coach, and the general manager all on the same page. And they picked Clyde Edwards-Hilaire of LSU. And if you saw him play last year, he had those games against, like, uh, where he had the championship game with nine receptions. I mean, someone who can run. I I love when people said he's a third-down back. He's not a third-down back. He is a back. He's going to be great
0: for that team. And that was a great draft choice for them. So the Bengals now got the first overall pick, took their franchise quarterback. How happy do you think they were when T. Higgins fell? to them in the second round. T.
1: Higgins could have been the number one I know, pick. it's crazy. Does anyone watch Clemson? Do you see him catch from Trevor Lawrence all the big plays he's had over the last couple big of years plays is a great in big games? Him. But hold on, how about big plays in big games against the Alabama corner? You see him when he was mm-hmm. with the championship game last year when they beat Alabama? Who was making all the big plays? T. Higgins over over draft people that were being drafted from Alabama for yeah. the their secondary. I mean, Clemson plays all these big teams like Ohio State. They blew out. I mean, you can't cover him. Why in the world Higgins drafts and you
0: get Joe burrow anti Higgins if you're the Bengals man you're happy yeah no they're thrown right now I about three minutes left so what what stood out to you um, here in the second round? Detroit got Swift. Deontay
1: Swift the running back. They def- desperately needed a running back. I thought that was key. New England went crazy for the first pick. Kyle Duggar from Lenore Rhine. nobody knew about. I mean, Belichick, maybe they thought his dog picked that I had to accident. Google the college. It's, Lenore Ryan has, I just it's crazy. And, and then Yedder mattis went to Carolina um, and uh, I thought that was from Penn State, the defensive end. Then the, the Dolphins went with another offensive lineman, Robert Hunt, from Louisiana. I thought to pair him with Austin Jackson, now two offensive linemen, I thought that was Smart Indianapolis goes with now. This is where I thought maybe uh, Jordan Love would drop to at mm-hmm. quarterback, but they, they would were, like that. I they thought. picked Jonathan Taylor. They got their running back who's going to be a stud running back. So to put Taylor with Philip Rivers, I think that was a great move for Indianapolis. They're ready to go. Um, uh, uh, Laviska Chennault went to Jacksonville. Uh, I thought that was you know we did not know where they were going to go with getting getting their uh, their wide receiver there. Uh, Tampa Bay in their second pick. Antoine Winfield from Minnesota, who I told you, I said, he I thought he was better than Akuda. I saw them both play. I thought he played better. Tampa Bay gets him. I mean, I thought Dobbins might go there. J.K. Dobbins from Ohio State. I thought they needed a running back. But they drafted uh, Vaughn from Vanderbilt in the next round. So they actually knew what they wanted. But I would have gone Dobbins, but they didn't go Dobbins there. And uh, the Steelers. Oh. <laughs> so I thought Dobbins was perfect for them. I mean, they're running back with Connor and Hunt and and mm-hmm. and, and 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 Bell. Where I mean, sorry, Especially Connor
0: with Deontay Johnson having a great rookie year. It's just not a need here with Juju on the other side.
1: I thought it was sort of a need, but I would have picked. I thought J.K. Dobbins was just going to be a lead Or well, why not back. take Denzel Mims? Right. And they picked Chase Claypool, who really was a Notre Dame, and he was 6'4", ran a four four five. He's one of the two wide receivers to be that tall to run that fast. But they're happy about it. And then Dallas then, though, just real quick, Dallas got the need they wanted. They got uh, Diggs then the quarterback. So they rafted their wide receiver earlier. But see, that's why I think Dallas was smart. They didn't reach for the corner. They go, look, we got a corner from from Bama at the 50th pick. I thought that was a smart pick from them. They didn't reach for that. They got the player they wanted, CeeDee Lamb. And then Jalen Hurts goes to fill at uh, 53, stupid. Yeah, Carson Wentz, I don't know what they did that for. Dobbins then goes to the Ravens. So the Ravens have another great draft. Getting getting J.K. Dobbins at the running back to, to team with Lamar Jackson and Mark Ingram to have a... They're going to break rushing a, records. Unbelievable. <laughs> so that was sort of... And then Green Bay, can I just... At the end of the second round, Green Bay, A.J. Dillon, they already have Aaron Jones. So let's keep drafting. The positions that we do have, let's have draft backups. That's the whole thing. Green Bay, I, I draft another running back as a backup.
0: After Aaron Jones coming off, one of the, the best years I've seen a Green Bay running back ever have, and you draft another one. I, I just don't know why. What else?
1: Um, just I was going to run through the quarterback picks real fast. Uh, Burrow and Tua and Herbert made sense. The Jalen Hurts picks Jordan Love made no sense, whatever. Jacob Eason in the fourth round from Washington went to the Colts. I thought that made sense. Rivers is there one more year, mm-hmm. bring a quarterback in like that. James Morgan NFIU, FIU goes to the fourth round to the Jets. Wow. Why? why to me, just – Donated to charity that pick. Why well, you know if you don't like Sam Darnell, why are you drafting another quarterback again? Don't have a rookie from FIU as your backup quarterback. Makes no sense. And then Jake from a Georgia, who people thought was going to go higher, he goes to the fifth round to the Bills. I don't care what you have a great on. You already have Josh Allen as your quarterback. He's t- early twenties. Like if you don't like him, then draft. He's him still like, on a rookie deal. It's, both it's, of them. It's it's absolutely not, you know draft him in the seventh round. and They have all those picks. But I thought that was that was stupid. And then the other for fantasy wise, Rams picked Acres uh, from FS Florida State. The only florida state player that was drafted in the draft and i thought that was he'll be he'll probably be starting for the rams next year he's at, gonna have course, a good career at, too i at, think at running
0: backs. I, I like him and i think sean McVay will
1: help. yeah the four backs hilaire from kansas city swift to detroit taylor from colts and acres to the rams are the four running backs you're going to see in the in the in fantasy next year getting drafted
0: great stuff let's go to ken kennerly the director of the honda classic
1: this is iron sports and we have the director of the honda classic ken kennerly on ken thanks a lot for coming on iron sports today
2: well, thanks, Ira. Thanks for having me. It's it's uh it's been a wonderful day. We've we've just heard the positive news about the golf in Palm Beach County opening up to, uh, Wednesday, um, you know, adhering to uh, very strict social distancing rules. But the good news is golf and marinas and parks and I think tennis have opened up. So it's uh, the week starting off on a good good note so far.
1: Well, that is, that is great to hear. I mean, I, I do have to question why the golf, I mean, of all the sports that you possibly have, the social distancing golf is the easiest. So I was a little surprised to mean, it seemed like it was a patchwork around the country. I know in some areas, like even New York allowed golf, whereas Vegas, Las Vegas didn't allow golf. So it was very weird how each state was a little bit different on how they viewed golf.
2: Well, I, I agree. Social distancing in golf is, is uh, easy to, to adhere to, and, you know, a single person in cart, um, you know, no congregating around the bar, you know, the range, et cetera, et cetera. So it's just good. I mean, you know, well, this country's got to open up again. We've got to get outside. This is, this is not going to put people in harm's way. So this was a good decision the county made. And, uh, let's hope people don't mess it up and we continue to play golf uh, only, you know, more and more in the future.
1: Of course, of course, of course, and you know, congratulations. We had you on, I think, two weeks before the Honda Classic, and you were one of the last events to get on you had two hundred thousand people it's It seems like the Honda Classic doesn't appear like it was like two years ago or three years ago. It's just so long, but tremendous yeah. tournament. I was there every day and and it was just a a great, great tournament.
2: Well, you know, we were very fortunate to get the event in, of course, Bay Hill was the final event before the shutdown at the Players championship and you know, while while we're able to celebrate and, you know, we had, uh, again, over 206,000 people, we uh, were going to give away a lot of money for charity. The economic impact from the tournament was outstanding and has been felt, uh, especially in light of the the, uh, the world shutting down. But, you know, all that success, Ira, all that success, and I saw you out there, and thanks for your support. All that success pales in comparison to what, what we've been going through in this world, and you know the world itself, and then when you narrow it down to our little business, the PGA Tour, and all those all those um, you know cities and counties and foundations and charities that have either been canceled or postponed, they're not going to realize the tremendous benefit that the PGA Tour, you know, is able to do on a week in and week out basis. So you know, our hearts go out to them and. I know we're going to restart golf here very soon, probably mid-June, I'm understanding, with no fans. And let's try to get into the uh, the business of, um, you know, getting back up, supporting golf, and, of course, watching live sports on television once again.
1: Right. And, you know, just to talk about the tournament for a second, I mean, you know, Sunjay Yen, everybody says, well, no name one, but... Sanjay M. Maybe three years from now is not going to be a no name. I mean, he, you might have had his, uh, I mean, I mean, this is supposed to be the Tommy Fleetwood coming out party, but it could have been the Sanjay M. coming out party. And you talk about someone you're not worried about. Uh, is he going to play too much tournaments? He played 48 events in 17 months, and we just had uh, we're going to have an author of who wrote the book about Yogi Bear on about catching 140 games in a year. I mean, he is the Iron Man of of golf, and and what a just a tremendous tournament holding off veterans like Fleetwood and Westwood and Donald uh, to have that victory. So it was it was a it was an exciting tournament as always. I mean, the way the course is laid out is just perfect to have that great Sunday finish.
2: Well, we did no doubt. And, you know, Sanjay birdied two of the three holes in the bear trap, which, you know, you can put that up against any player in the game. And, you know, more than likely when you look at his bear trap stats are it, it correlates very well with the guys that do well at the honda classic and you know he by far well he he's not a no name in our world because we've been following his success and he went on to bay hill the week after and i think he finished third or fourth there and you know, he, this player, uh, a lot of people are saying, will be will be at some point the number one player in the world. And uh, his commitment, as you mentioned, you know, 40-plus events over 17 months, 35 events last year alone in 19. I mean, it, it's, it's insane. And uh, the guy is in good shape. He's young. He's only 21, I believe. And, you know, there was a nice article in our paper here last week, I think, that... Uh, um, Doug wrote. He's been hanging out over in Tampa just waiting to get, get started again. So, you know, he's gonna he's gonna win. You're gonna see him on the leaderboard, as you will, Tommy Fleetwood and all the guys that we had up on our leaderboard and it was great to see Lee Westwood. You know, we gave him an exemption. It was great to see Lee Westwood come out and have another good tournament and you know, he won in Abu Dhabi earlier this year and for him to uh you know, to play well at the Honda was, was wonderful and you know, I know he really enjoys playing in Palm Beach County. So, we overall we just had a uh, another wonderful event. But, but again, you know, our success pales in comparison to what's going on in uh, in uh, in the world right now.
1: And you also got it. You know, Daniel Berger, who had really been been battling with injuries, came back and had a tremendous tournament, especially finishing strong on on, on Sunday.
2: Well, Daniel, you know, wonderful guy, He lost to Padraig Harrington, you know, a few years back in a playoff. I think went to Monday morning and a uh, great local guy. He and Brooks Kepka, uh, the, these are the two homegrown guys, uh truly, you know, born and bred here in this community, so it was awesome to see Daniel play well, and, uh, you know, while Brooks, uh, unfortunately, didn't play as well as he did last year, um, you know, the commitment from these guys is there, and you know, we're we're moving into a new date next year. We're going to be middle of March uh, with the with the shortened, or say shortened schedule. There's one less week before Augusta. Ironically, just the way the schedule falls, so we're going to move into mid uh, mid March, which we think will be uh, which will be a good date for us. It'll help our player field. It gets us away from that gauntlet with you know too many good tournaments in a row so i, th- I think we're uh, we're posed to have a, a great 2021 tournament.
1: Did you talk to some of the players to get, you know, a feeling about whether this date is something that they were interested right after the players? I mean there's it's you know it's going to be an easy drive down from Jacksonville down here is that did you get some comfort from them that hey, wow with this change of date I'm more interested in playing?
2: Well, you know, yes I did. Uh, we've been we've been you know researching the possible date change for goodness close to a year. And again, for the next three years, there's one less week before Augusta, the way New Year's falls, and the P J Tour is not going to start Kapalua literally over the New Year's weekend, which then puts their, their advance week into the Christmas week, which is not going to work. So, you know, hence hence that that everyone's got to slide back. Uh, a week leading up to Augusta. Of course, Augusta doesn't slide anyway. They don't, they, they do whatever they want. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Everybody has to uh, conform to their schedule, which, which is fun. Yeah. You know, essentially what, uh, one of the problems we've had the last couple of years is, and it's, it's just the way the game is, you know, they come off uh, Los Angeles, which is the new Tiger Woods uh, invitational. And then down to Mexico, which is WGC. And then into Honda, then into Bay Hill and into players. You know, that's five great events there. Then you have a great event right after that called Valspar in Tampa, at in Innisbrook, which is a phenomenal tournament once again. And then you go into match play. And then you have Valero, and then you have the Masters. So, you, so you've got you've got so many great events. You have you know two WGCs, World Golf Championships. You have two Invitationals with Bay Hill and Tiger's Invitational. Then you have two great events like Valspar and the Honda Classic, all jammed in there. And then Valero's a great event, and then you got the Masters. So there's just a lot going on. So what will happen is – uh, we'll get out of that gauntlet a little bit. Uh, so, essentially, the schedule go LA, Mexico, uh, Bay Hill, which is Orlando uh, players, and then Honda, then match play. And look, it's still not perfect, but uh, it, it does give players an opportunity to, you know, to pick and choose where they want to play. We know they weren't going to play five in a row, so somebody was going to get hurt in the old schedule, and, you know, we'll have to see. But the players I did speak with thought that, you know, coming after the players, before match play was probably a better position for us uh, for the next three years. So we'll, that, we'll see, you know, no. time Tom will say the good thing. I think what you've seen out there, Ira, and you've talked about it on your show, is you know while the player field is crucial, uh, it's it's not the end all for us. We have a great support in our community. We've got you know great fans. Now you know the fan, the bear trap. That's all to be seen in this new world, right? Going forward, let's hope we get a vaccine. Let's hope people feel comfortable getting out socially, celebrating. Uh, like they've done each and every year at the Bear Trap and at the Honda Classic. Um, and I think sports in general, over the next, really, 12, 16, 18 months, I think there's going to be a lot of changes out there. So you know, we'll, we, we don't know what to expect uh, March of 2021. But uh, needless to say, we're far enough down the road. We're actually the furthest tournament from where we were this year we're 55 weeks down as opposed to our traditional 52 weeks so you know what we'll see how it how it uh how it uh you know unfolds for us
1: we're talking to ken kennerly the director of the honda classic and you're correct about that it's a, you do have probably as long a time as any uh sporting event in terms of planning what could go and hopefully in the meantime we you know get back to to normal but in the next uh, over a year almost from now uh, another tour, another thing I want to ask you about in terms of golf is that there's a lot of discussion about the Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady tournament are like our charity uh, event that could happen in May. And it could actually happen here, uh, in Martin and Palm, Palm Beach County. They're talking about the medalist course or something. And what have you heard about that, that tournament? It's going to be a TV event only, no spectators, but it would be cool to have, have that event here, right here in, in, in the area.
2: Well, I you know, I, I'm just I, I know nothing more than what I'm reading uh, in the media. Uh, you know um, all the both Phil's team, Tiger's team, they're they're pretty quiet as they always are with with the uh, upcoming deals. I, I think there'll be an amount an announcement here shortly. Um, uh, but I think it's great. It's great for golf. I, I think the addition of Tom Brady and Peyton Manning with Phil and Tiger just adds a whole other element, I think a needed element. Um, you know the the last match was good. But you know, when you got two guys playing 18 holes of golf, you know you can only talk so much. So I think having these uh, two superstar athletes, and Peyton and Tom, are going to add to it tremendously. And you know, if Medalist is in fact chosen, uh, it would be great. Tiger plays out there quite a bit, as you know. Phil's moving to Jupiter Island, so I think it's it's going to be great for uh, to have Phil uh, here. I I suspect while he's here, he's probably going to be doing some. Uh, site site inspection or house inspection, or whatnot, but you know Seminole was also mentioned. I heard the Floridian was mentioned, and you know I'm a member of medalist, so selfishly, I hope it's there. I think it'd be a great tournament and um you know, from what I am hearing, it's going to be just the players, players and caddies only. But it'll be great, great it, for
1: golf. It would be great because it'd be cool to show like medalists. We hear about medalists all the time, but nobody gets to go walk the tour. Be just the in just the view of seeing what medalist looks like because they, you know, all talk about it. and It would be a great way for people who who aren't familiar with the course to see the course on TV. But we had Mark Cannizzaro uh, who wrote a book about the Augusta on a couple of weeks ago, and he had a great story about Mickelson and Brady just going into the Masters and like throwing the ball around on one of the fairways and. Mickelson almost uh, hurt his hand because he's trying to catch the ball from from Brady. But I guess they're very close friends, and uh, with with uh, Peyton Manning too. I mean, those guys. It's going to be great. The characters between all four of them. I, I think you're right that it'd be. It's going to be fantastic, but I, I wanted to switch to the rest of the PGA Tour, and I know that not only running the Honda, but you were actually work as a consultant to a lot of the other events on the tour, and ha- what are what are some of the conversations you have had about how the, what we're going to see initially with these golf events in terms of what's going to be different than, besides having no fans, but what's going to be different in these tournaments? I know that Charles Schwab in Fort Worth is in June 11th to the 14th, and then the RBC, RBC Heritage Hilton Head on the 18th to 21st. What do you see changing in terms of watching even just watching it on tv
2: well you know i joined the pro links team earlier this year hollis Kavner, the owner and i have formed a joint venture so i'm, I'm working closely with hollis uh, obviously continuing to run the honda but on other events and you know their their company alone they had valspar they had wells fargo and insperity both of which ironically were this week wells fargo in charlotte and insperity on the champions tour in houston um, you know, both events canceled, Valspar canceled. Uh, Valspar was the, like the next event. So they, they took it on the chin more than anybody because they, they were ready to go. I mean, it was, it was the advance week for them and, uh, they had to outlay, you know, millions and millions of dollars. And, you know, I know there have been discussions with both their sponsor and the PJ Tour as to, you know, what this looks like coming out the other side. And, and I'll say, and while I haven't had any specific uh, discussions with, the tour, I, you know, I, I suspect that, you know, everyone will come together and make sure charity at the end of the day is not hurt, because the P J tour is all about charity, and, you know, the last thing anyone wants is for a tournament to have to go into a reserve fund just to pay expenses, not even charity dollars to pay expenses just to get by. It's, it's uh, you know, what we've been dealt here, it, the more you dig into it, the more uh, layers you peel back from the onion, it, it just it just gets worse because you know financially for these charities uh, you know you've got to do what you can to prop them up you've got to do what you can to make sure uh, they, 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 uh, they survive right I mean every event on the PJ tour is a 501c3 that's what why and what the PJ tour is so great um, it is it is all about charities so now it's time to try to do all of a, for all of us to do what we can to prop these charities up and, and to make sure that we have, uh, we have success going forward and, and I think we will I think you know, the right people are going to be making the right decisions and corporations are standing behind their sponsorships from what I understand and you know it's just, it's just part of the world that we're all dealing with right now
1: I, and I realize you're a, probably the most hands-on executive of any tournament I could imagine. And I'm sure you've been talking. I mean, you have you have such great corporate partners for the Honda Classic, uh, starting with Honda itself. But, but you just have so many local entities and, and that have helped it. I'm sure that you've been in constant contact with them in terms of, because it's a year-round uh, promotion for you. To, besides, just besides the Honda Classic, you have other events during the year. But, but even just your hand-holding of these sponsors throughout the year is a, is a year-long event
2: well it is i mean you know it doesn't work without the sponsorships uh, frankly because sponsors make these events happen uh, you know even even the tiger phil match it's it's a big partnership i understand with time warner it's going to air on t on turner broadcasting and you know i don't know who the sponsors are i know i know some of the older sponsors but you know, without sponsors, you don't have anything, and these sponsors have been have been great. And, you know, back to your original question, the first four events coming out of this now, beginning of June, as you mentioned, with the Charles Schwab, they're going to be without fans. So what is that going to look like physically? What is that going to look like economically? Um, you know, I mean, if, you, if you've got to refund all of your, your spectator tickets, if you've got to come up with a refund policy for all your corporate sponsors as well, you know, what is that going to look like? Um, you know, how is that going to affect the bottom line? Then you go forward four weeks, and I believe John Deere is the first event with fans, you know, reportedly. And then you go into the memorial with fans. So, you know, we'll have to see what that looks like, too. And, you know, are those areas ready to go with fans? Uh, we've got to get back to some normalcy. And then, you know, the P J Championship is a couple of weeks after the memorial, so it's the first week in August, and Seth Law, their CEO, who lives in Palm Beach County, as you know it, um, you know, he, he's quoted as saying, look, San Francisco, they're prepared to go without fans. They hope they go with fans, but if they can't go with fans, they'll go without fans. You know, the PGA's got pretty deep pockets, I suspect, and, you know, they can afford to go. But they recognize the fact that we've got to play golf. We've got to get these guys out on the golf course. We've got to create some live television, live content, and we've got to try to give people s- some sense of, you know, um, you know, where, where, where that ball is continuing to to move, and we got to continue to get back to whatever the new normalcy is. You know, going forward.
1: Right, and it's you know that's the one thing we saw with the NFL draft this past few days, and how it everybody, and that's why I still do my show. In terms, of people say, "Why are you doing your show?" There's you know, talk about sports, but we bring a lot of authors on uh, books, and there's things going on. So I enjoy talking sports all the time and, and bringing on. I you know, we have we're having authors, uh, two authors, almost every single week on my show. But I do think that it's something. You know, we, we had an author talking about Yogi Bear in terms of World War II, and and Kenneth saw Mountain Landis, the Commissioner of Baseball, asked Roosevelt, "Say, you know, do you want me to stop playing baseball in 1942?" Too. And Roosevelt goes, no, I think you should play baseball, but just play it at night so people can work during the day, and then they can, you know, listen to the games on the radio at night. So I thought that was interesting from the what sports, sports what the role sports plays in in our country, in our fabric, and, and everything about. It, in terms of, it's really important to people.
2: Well, well, it is, and you know, what a, I didn't know that story about baseball, and that, that's awesome. I mean, that's exactly right. And you know, I, I, I read today. I guess we're going to try. The NBA is going to try to open up some. Some um, Some of the practice areas, so the teams can you know just get back out there and try to you know get back into it we can 't run from this I mean we've got to keep people healthy, obviously um, and we can 't put ourselves in harm 's way, but we 've got to continue to to uh, you know move that ball downfield to use the sports analogy uh, move it downfield into to a point where we can be safe but also you know try to get back to uh, where we need to be
1: and as we started we're, we're talking to ken kennerly the executive director of the honda classic you just mentioned and i just don't even have that didn't even get that news is that they are opening uh the palm beach golf courses uh when, when when's the day they said they were going to open
2: wednesday yeah so it's monday the announcement david Kern, our mayor here in palm beach county uh for the county just made that announcement. It's going to be a boating. Some marinas are going to open up. No social, you know, social proper, social distancing. No rafting up on the boats, on the golf course. Look, we were socially distancing in Palm Beach County before we got shut down. You know, we followed Dade and then Broward because of all the cases, COVID-19 cases. So, you know, this this is good news for us. Uh, People will be celebrating. People can't be stupid, though. They've got to get out there. And there's a lot of responsibility on these courses, both the public and the private courses, to make sure – That anyone that comes out to their facility is properly adhering to these rules, because Sheriff Bradshaw was on uh, on the uh, on the uh, interview today too. There, you know, there are no second chances. I mean, if these clubs and these players don't abide by the rules, we're going to get shut down again. And I'll tell you what, it's going to be harder to open up again. So, you know, the good news is we're able to get back out in Palm Beach County and play golf, uh, and I suspect the same is for Martin and Dade County as well. Uh, I don't believe they mentioned anything about the beaches yet, but hopefully that's forthcoming as well. But, you know, again, it's part of the new world. I think people realize that you see it when you go into the and Walmarts, you know, people are keeping their distance and I think we're going to see that naturally be part of our lifestyle here for the, uh, unseeable future.
1: And also golf is, you know, just crucially important. And people say it's, a, you know, one of the comments when people are saying, well, they should open the golf courses, they go, well, that's elite. And, and as you and I both understand that the public courses in, in Palm Beach County and what the Honda Classic does in bringing youth into golf and people playing golf, it's, it, this is not an elite sport. And uh, with the amount of public golf courses we have here in Palm Beach County, this is a sport for everybody to play and everybody enjoys playing it too. So I'm glad that at least we're, we're opening that sport up to, to, to everybody uh, starting on Wednesday.
2: No, we are. We had uh, we interviewed Stephen Hamlin yesterday on our Honda Classic show, and you know, talking about the AJGA, American Junior Golf Association, it's the largest junior golf so- organization in the country. You know, they have 6,000 members there. They have over 200 events per year. Um, you know, they're going to get started here, I think, coming up in uh, you know late May as well. So, you know, like you said, we just got to get back at it. Uh, not just golf, it's it's the way of life. And we've just got to do what we have to do to be safe. But, uh, you know, continue to move forward.
1: Thanks, Ken, for coming on. Uh, Iron Sports, this is Ken. I was talking to Ken Kennerly, uh, executive director of the Honda Classic. Uh, thanks again, Ken, for coming on.
2: Thanks, pal. Thanks for all your support. And I loved seeing you out the Honda this year. And, uh, you know, you you, you, you you properly message golf and what we do to the, our economy and charity and all that. And it's just wonderful. So keep up the good work. And so uh, Mike and all the guys in your place, we say hello. Thanks for everything. Thank you
0: so much. You're listening to Ira on Sports 95.9, the true oldies channel. That was Ken Kennerly. Uh, you just heard here. Great stuff. So, Ira, what do we have on tap for next week? Next week, we're going to talk about The Last Dance. So I wanted to, we ran out of time this week in terms
1: of talking about it and because we wanted to talk, go in the draft, but. Uh, I mean, I was there, and I actually just wrote an article. If you go on Iron Sports on Facebook and my Twitter, I put it out. I had an article in some newspapers that were talked about the last dance and about the Bulls. I was there at games three, four, and five in Chicago, game six in, in Utah. And actually, it was so much to write that I broke my story up in two parts, <laughs> just talking about the different things about being in Chicago for game five, which is going to be Michael Jordan's last game, which was his last game as a Bull, and then in game six where they won the title in Utah. I love talking about the Jordan Bulls. I love the stories. I love that watching I mean, I'm just so into the whole <laughs> documentary. I think it's great. Um, and then we're going to talk about that. And then we're going to have uh, Ben Cohn uh, talk about this book called The Hot Hand, mm-hmm. where he talks about Steph Curry in terms of, the, is there a hot hand? Like if you're playing golf and you're on, in a streak, is that going to be good? Ben Cohn is a writer for The Wall Street Journal. I love this book. I've actually sent this book to like four or five different of my friends, and they all say, this book is awesome. Like, they love the <laughs> book, and it teaches you how to gamble. It teaches everything. So I really, I,
0: I can't want, wait to have Ben Cohn on to talk about the hot, his book, The Hot Hand it's going to be a great show unfortunately for this show we are out of time on behalf of ira i'm mike let's talk next monday night iron sports